Well, he won the first pitcher's triple crown in since the 1940s when Hal Newhouser won it. So, I mean, it was a it was a big deal. Carlos Delgado was a monster in 2000. I mean, he was a monster multiple times over the course of his career. Yeah. I think some years it is tough to select an MVP. And I, I kind of would like it if more years were like that. And welcome to episode number 171 of Artificial Turf Wars, where we discuss how the Blue Jays have remained undefeated through the middle of April. I'm Greg Wisniewski, and I'm joined by the inscrutable Joshua Housem. Josh, how's it going? Inscrutable. <laughs> Mysterious. <laughs> I'm good. How about you? I've I've never been able to quite figure you out myself. So there you go. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm doing all right. I am maintaining uh, as much social and physical distance as I can, uh, and uh, I am thinking that probably our discussion about why the Blue Jays don't have any wins right now has like a high point and a low point. <laughs> they, they're undefeated. Yeah, the, <laughs> I don't know if there's much of a high point. They're winless. Also winless. Hey, they're also tied for first. Okay, so that's not happening. Not, none of the baseball is happening. We know that. Let's let's turn back the clock again. I think this week we are going to talk about all of the times when a Blue Jay walked away with a postseason piece of hardware and uh, with their head held high. And then we're going to talk about uh, the times when either they should have and didn't or uh, maybe they did. And they probably shouldn't have. It's quite possible. Uh, and then, of course, after you, you get enough hardware at the end of the, the season and your career is long enough, you go to the Hall of Fame. And that has happened uh, to, I mean, arguably one Blue Jay only with the hat on. But we'll say two because Roy Halladay doesn't wear a logo in uh, the Hall of Fame. Fair enough? Yeah. All right. So rolling back the clock all the way back to 1979 the blue jays were were they were they any good at all really no no (laughs) (laughs) they were abjectly terrible in 1979 so i think it's telling that the blue jays couldn't even come up with a clear award winner in the year that they had their first award winner they couldn't even commit to that right alfredo griffin wins rookie of the year with Seven first place votes tying John Castino. Uh, I've never heard of John Castino except when I look at this particular stat that I every so often look up about Alfredo Griffin. Have, have, do you remember John Castino? No. no. And I, I would wager that most people who aren't Blue Jays fans will never have heard of Alfredo Griffin either. Well, um, Alfredo Griffin had a habit of hitting a lot of triples as his career went on. So if you're a big fan of the triple, you may have seen his name on such leaderboards before. And he did have a long career. I mean, Alfredo Griffin played from 1976, so but he didn't get enough play appearances to qualify for batting for the next three years until 1993. That should have been a sign, by the way. That if, if it takes you three years to get rookie of eligibility, maybe you're not. He was really, 18, man. <laughs> but, but they couldn't. No one could give him 100 plate appearances or 115 or whatever plate appearances over the three years. Um, he was okay. 18 in the first year. <laughs> It was a different time. I think we're going to use that phrase over and over again as we go through these numbers. So Yeah, so funny thing about this is like, look at the numbers these guys had in their rookie of the year seasons. Would you like to read them out? Sure. Um, uh, so 393 at-bats for Castino, 624 for Alfredo Griffin. So he did get a ton of at-bats. Uh, 112 hits and 179 hits. Five home runs for Castino. Two for Alfredo Griffin, 27 walks for Castino, 40 for Griffin. Um, Griffin, tons of stolen bases, 21. I believe his caught stealing was like 16, though, when I looked on the full stat line. Uh, And then batting averages, 285 and 287 on bases, 331, 333. And the slugging, oh, 397 and 364. These are your rookie of the year winners. (laughs) Could could these numbers be any more pedestrian? No, I mean, <laughs> so here are the people who got votes. There, it looks like there was only first place votes back then because that seems to be how the share played out. 
John Castino, Alfredo Griffin tied for first, Mark Clear, third, Ross Baumgarten, and Rom, Ross Baumgarten, Ron Davis, and Pat Putnam <laughs> tied for fourth. I have not heard of any of those guys. <laughs> it was a tough time to be a ball player, apparently. On the I mean, like, so on the flip, Rick Sutcliffe was the rookie of the year in the NL. He went seventeen and ten in forty games. Uh, well, I presumably pinch hit. I don't even know. Um, oh, thirty starts, but he got into nine other games. He threw two hundred and forty-two innings in his rookie season. As you said, it was a different time. <laughs> well, I mean, this Ron Davis guy—he was fourteen and two out of the bullpen. <laughs> so. <laughs> But anyway, yeah, it was weird. I mean, like, and I'll, I'll fit a Griffin. Like those numbers now. If a guy came up as a rookie and put those numbers, I'd be like, Ugh, I don't know if this guy's long for the big leagues. <laughs> Especially the combination of uh, of lack of walks and lack of power. Like, I mean, he and, was the prototypical weak hitting shortstop, right? Ex- except he wasn't even adding value on the bases because, as you said, he was caught sixteen times stealing bases. Yep, ridiculous. Yeah, but hey, he, he got a trophy. He did get a trophy. Um, that was not the year that he was selected to the All-Star team, though. Would you like to tell the Alfredo Griffin is an All-Star story? The Alfredo Griffin is an All-Star story? He, he got in the... 1984? Yes. I don't remember the story, so you better tell it. Uh, um, so Alfredo Griffin, um, I believe it was Damaso Garcia. I want to get the name right. Uh, it was an injury, I... right? Yeah, well... He... So you're generally allowed to bring a plus one when you go to the All-Star game. Oh, I do know the story. Um, and, and I believe it was Damaso <laughs> Garcia, but I, I could be wrong. Um, here it is. Uh, yeah, Damaso Garcia brought his plus one was Alfredo Griffin. And then Alan Trammell hurt his arm and couldn't play the day of the game. So Joe Altabelli, the manager, looked around and saw Griffin and named him to the team mostly because he was there. <laughs> oh that's amazing his numbers for 1984 pretty much represent the fact that yeah it was because he was there um surely damaso garcia what if damaso garcia had brought his wife would she have been an all-star she might have been a better choice <laughs> <laughs> so here were griffin's numbers in the first half 241 batting average, 250 on base, and 317 slugging. Hey, now, you're an all star. <laughs> <laughs> That's, oh, that is one of the great stories. I had forgotten that that was the case. As soon as you started telling it, it came back to me because that's incredible. Uh, yeah, they, things that just don't happen anymore. I think it, it's one of our long list of things that just don't happen anymore. So, uh, we move on. We move on. And, I've, of course, I've lost my tab. Why? How many times can I lose one tab? There it is. To, it was a long drought. I'm going to be straight with you. We're going to get into why it maybe shouldn't have been such a long drought. But we get all the way to 1987 before the Blue Jays win an award. An eight-year gap. And George Bell hits 47 home runs, which did not lead the league. Uh, drives in, uh, what, 135? 134 RBIs. It was uh, one of only four times the Blue Jays ever led the league. So, I mean, in in an era where RBI was king, that that sort of makes sense. Except that RBIs don't necessarily represent much about George Bell. They represent a lot about George Bell's teammates. Yeah, I mean, he did check all the MVP boxes, right? You know, he had 47 home runs, hit 308. Yeah, a 300 hitter. Who led the league in RBIs. And hit 47 bombs, yeah. second to Mark McGuire. You know, that actually, if, if you just put that in a, in a, in a bubble and walk away, uh, which I think we'll do for right now. Yeah, we'll, we'll come back to we'll it. We'll come back to it. Uh, yay, MVP award. So the Blue Jays, and also incredibly, the Blue Jays did not make the playoffs in 1987. No one needs to hear this story, right? <laughs> no. But at the time, that should have hurt Bell's chances, right? For for not carrying them through that last little stretch where they all collapsed. George Bell should have been, you know, unfairly blamed for that failure, shouldn't he? Well, especially, so we will allude to who came second. 
guy came second, Alan Trammell, played for the team that caught the Blue Jays in the last week of the season, the Tigers. Seems like a no-brainer, really. If you're talking about the traditional valuable, in quotes, part of the MVP award, would, would Alan Trammell's value not logically have been greater than George Bell's value? Yeah, I guess that's those those ribbies. <laughs> As you said, they carry the day. <laughs> so there we homers go. And, homers and ribbies. That's all that mattered. Which, uh, yeah, it was a different time. I think we can say that over and over again, and I'm going to stop now. So, George Bell, MVP, 1987. Thank you very much, George. And then he got really disappointed about being a Blue Jay, which is just weird. I would have thought he'd be happy. Uh, go another nine years before the Blue Jays pick up any hardware. They win two World Series, no major award winners. Make the playoffs, what, like eight times in ten years or something it felt like? Nobody is a single standout enough to uh, to garner any hardware until... 19- to deserve, yes. To garner, no. <laughs> no. We get to 1996 and Pat Henkin becomes... I believe the first 20-game winner ever to play for the Blue Jays, or the second. No, no, no. Jack, Jack Morris. Morris did it in 1992. But he did it right. Pat Henkin legitimately looked like an MV, or a Cy Young Award winner in the 1996 season. He threw... Yeah, so... Go ahead, sorry. Through 265 innings. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um, and just uh, There's something, just because it ties things we just mentioned in. I know this is veering way off the award track. Morris did get Cy Young votes in 1992. Yeah. Um, do you remember how he got to his 20th win or how they tried to get him there? No, I do not. So this ties in good old Alfredo Griffin. <laughs> they, they were playing in Yankee Stadium and the Jays were crushing the Yankees. And it was the top of the fourth. I think it was. And it started or top of the fifth and it started pouring. Oh, now I remember this. That was that yeah. game? Yeah, so because Morris had 19 wins, and they wanted to get him to 20. But you, and, need, <laughs> you can't finish a four-inning game, though. No, so they tried to rush through. So the Jays at bats, like Alfredo Griffin, struck out on a pitch that was about 14 feet outside. <laughs> <laughs> he just swung and went back to the dugout, even though the ball went to the backstop. <laughs> uh, and did, did, they, did they get to the fifth inning in that game? No, well, no. they did eventually, but it, they, like right after that happened, they called for a rain delay, and then Morris came back out. But it was just, it was, it's just a funny moment in Jay's history seeing him strike out on a pitch that was thrown to the backstop. A different way in of the taking, air. A different way of taking one for the team, for sure. Like, yep, that's why he deserved that All Star Game spot from you know retroactively. <laughs> so in 1996, Pat Henkin um, managed a 3.22 ERA. 10 complete games with those 265 innings, three shutouts. Uh, but, uh, the, the shutouts, complete games, and innings pitch led, led the league, which, of course, batters faced. He led the league. And he had the lowest home run per nine in the league and also the lowest home run per nine of his career. So whatever he was doing a little bit differently took him over the top. Which So finally, the Blue Jays have an undisputed award winner only 20 years into franchise history. <laughs> Yeah, and it's funny because, you know, I think we weren't really accustomed to the Blue Jays being bad yet. No. You know, in 1995, they were last in baseball, but they, you know, they were still technically the reigning champions going into the season. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, oh, okay, well, it was a bad season. Weird stuff happened. Then 1996 rolls around, and they weren't great again. But they had Pat Henkin do this, right? Well, Juan Guzman led the league in ERA. <laughs> It's like, oh, okay, you know, like there's something here. And Pat and, like, is, is 27 years old at this point. It's not like he's a an old man. No, not at all. I mean, the next year he went out and stood through 264 innings, you know, and led the league in batter's face again. Um, like he was a legitimate ace at this point in his career, which is something I think that gets kind of lost on people. I think because it didn't last. As long as, uh, like, by 1998, Pat Enkin's ERA was suffering in much the way that the, the rest of the league was suffering in ERA as as steroids and such crept into the game and the offense took off. Like, his ERA went 394, 431, 538. He, he was only a little bit below average at 538, but it certainly looked rough. And then he was out of Toronto by uh, 2000. 
Yeah. So what numbers are you just reading off? Sorry, FIP. My bad. Yeah, I was going to say, I didn't think those were right. Sorry. The CRAs were... 368, 517, and 479. Looks even worse. The 479 was a one, <laughs> plus of 102. The steroid era was so goofy. <laughs> that was an average pitcher. 479 starting pitcher. But yeah, he was an ace for two seasons. After, and he was like, he was, you know, it was good in 93. So like in 94, he was good too. Even the short, in the strike shortened season, he was an all star. And then, you know, like I said, 95 was just a lost year for everyone. But then I was like, okay, he's back. Ace, Pat Henkin, he's the man, and he's going to lead this team forward. And, yeah, like he won the Cy Young and then one more good year, and then it was over. Um, which I think if you look at the, the 265 and 264 innings, and then he never exceeded 200 innings during the rest of his career, you might have a hint as to what happened to Pat Henkin. Yeah. Because <laughs> nobody believed in wear and tear, apparently, at that point. No, I mean, those numbers are kind of staggering when you think about it in modern terms. I mean, 35 starts, two years in a row is pretty impressive. Yeah. I mean, that that's never leaving a game early. That's never missing a turn. That's wild. And he's averaging pitching into the eighth inning per start. Them's his Halliday numbers. No, okay, we'll get into that. I believe... Uh, I don't know if Halliday ever exceeded 265 innings. I didn't. I haven't looked that up. Don't worry, Josh will in a minute. Well, I start to move us slowly. To well, I already I already had it up, but it, he yeah he got to 266 in 2003, the year he won the Cy Young. Yeah, once. And Pat Hengen slapped it together back to back and didn't win anything in the second year. He didn't even get a Cy Young vote in the second year where he got. <laughs> anyway, the reason he didn't get a Cy Young vote, I think, was pretty clear, is because the Blue Jays. For the only time in their history prior to maybe Russell Martin actually went into the... Well, no. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm being hyperbolous. Um, for the first time in their history, they went into the free agent market for a pitcher who looked to some people to be wash up because I believe he was coming off a season where he had an ERA over four. And I'm pretty sure he led the league in strikeouts. Yeah. But that wasn't important then. No. Some some schmo named Roger Clemens was going to come from the Boston Red Sox and try and prove to them that they shouldn't have let him go. Actually, it was 363. The year before that was 418. It's like, oh, he's done. <laughs> <laughs> so the Blue Jays signed Roger Clemens. And we're talking about hardware. And it, he was a man on a mission in 1997. Well, I mean, yeah, 1997 and then 1998 are arguably, well, probably the two best pitching seasons in the history of the Blue Jays. Yeah, and the fact that the, <laughs> the fact that he managed to do that, you know, right out of 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 the free agent contract. I mean, it so rarely works that a free agent signs a contract and immediately has two of the the best seasons that he's had in ages. Uh, for that new team, you would think that, and you alluded to this earlier, the rotation he was joining looked like it was the perfect time for Roger Clemens to lead the Blue Jays to something. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a, it was a signing that made sense. I mean, it was a shock, as you said, because the reason that they lost Jimmy Key and David Cohn the first time was because they were unwilling to give a three-year deal to a pitcher. And then they gave Clemens four. <laughs> I was just looking at 264 innings. So over 500 innings in 1997 between Pat Henkin and Roger Clemens. Yep. I mean, that shouldn't that be everything taken care of? Shouldn't they be playoff bound at that point? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the hitting was just awful in 1997. Like just truly terrible. And that sunk them. I mean, they had decent enough pitching, but they had was it one, two, three, four, five, six, six players who got 350 plate appearances or more and had an OPS plus of 80 or worse. Okay, so the eggs were in the wrong basket. <laughs> they sure were. Um, so... Uh... Clemens ended up with uh, an all-star appearance, uh, Cy Young Award, and MVP votes. 
Well, he won the first pitcher's triple crown in since the 1940s when Hal Newhouser had won it. So, I mean, it was a it was a big deal. And, you know, it, he, like you said, he, he won the Cy Young and got the MVP votes. But the thing, the, getting the triple crown was at least something that fans had something to pull for going towards the end of the season. Mm-hmm. And you know, it was not by any means a lock. He beat Randy Johnson by one strikeout. People, I think, I forget how good Randy Johnson was. Because by the time I was really watching him again, he was, you know, creeping towards 300 wins. So he was in his mid-40s. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I mean, he was still tall and still threw hard and still knew what he was doing. But he, I mean, he was not the crazy dominant Randy Johnson that, that was out there in the 1990s, walking half of the, the planet and still winning games because he struck out the other half. Yes, I mean, Johnson actually got two first-place votes for the Cy Young Award that year, which, when you think about it, is kind of (laughs) (laughs) forward-thinking. It's shocking because he had a worse ERA. He had fewer wins, obviously, because Clemens won the pitcher's triple crown. And he had fewer strikeouts, but his strikeout per inning was fantastic in his... You know, like he's was the unhittable Randy Johnson. So it's surprising to see it, but it's still wrong <laughs> that he got those votes. <laughs> all right. So Clemens, in order to not be dissuaded from, um, you know, getting all the votes he needed, uh, decided he just turned around in 1998 and do the same bloody thing. Yeah. He won the Petit Triple Crown in back to back years. Yeah. And Pedro, that was Pedro's first year in the AL, too. And we all know what happened with Pedro. Oh, yeah, he was awesome. He was, yeah, I mean, <laughs> everything happened with Pedro all the time for the next like five years. But, like, you know, this was Boston going out and getting a different ace, right? And Clemens showed, yeah, I'm still better than this guy. I mean, that didn't last for very long, but he won Pitcher's Triple Crown again, twice in a row, which is for, for bad teams. Like, that's the thing, too. Like, getting wins. As we've, you know, discussed probably many times over the course of this podcast history, <laughs> they're not—they don't mean very much in terms of your ability as a pitcher. But in this case, they kind of did because Clemens was pitching deep into games and winning. Now, in 1998, they actually won 88 games, but in '97, they won 78, I think. Now, tell the nice people at home how old Roger Clemens was when he won back-to-back pitching triple crowns. Well, we could give reasons for this when I start to answer this question because Roger Clemens was 34 and 35. Wow, I'm so glad there's nothing that looks suspect about that at all. Do you think the Blue Jays will ever have a 35-year-old who brings home a piece of hardware again? Ooh, um, I'm going to say yes because they might at some point in their career end up with the current version of Justin Verlander. Okay. I, you know, I, just a guy who's just a horse and just keeps it up. I mean, Clemens was aided <laughs> chemically. <laughs> I mean, he he won another Cy Young when he was 41. But, yeah, I mean, I don't care, though, <laughs> because I got to watch this. And I remember, you know, like, that was the coolest thing ever, having Roger Clemens be a Blue Jay and doing this. Yeah, I feel like if there was any time where the Blue Jays were sticking it to the the Yankees and the Red Sox or came close to it um, when they were both powerhouses. It would be those two years. You know, we we took your your best guy and left you scrambling. Um, yeah, and just before we move off Clemens, in that first year back, um, he went to the, went into Boston in his return and struck out sixteen guys. <laughs> <laughs> it was beautiful. It's just beautiful. And then he ended up as a Yankee. Oh. Because of the weirdest contract clause of all time. Well, you want to tell the folks what the weirdest contract clause said? Yeah, basically, it said if the Jays didn't reach the playoffs or something, and Roger Clemens had the right to demand a trade, and if the Jays did not acquiesce, he would become a free agent. <laughs> I cannot think a sane person wrote that clause in the contract. Well, it's almost like it was a strange version of of the modern opt-out 
where like he signed a deal, a two-year deal with a two-year player option that would be automatically exercised if the Jays finished second or made the playoffs or something. I just feel like the person who agreed to it was thinking one of two things. So the first thing they were thinking was, we're going to make the playoffs for sure. We don't have to worry about the clause. Or if we don't make the playoffs in the first two years you're here, you're not really helping anyway, so you can go pound salt. There's also the, it's, this might be what it takes to get Roger Clemens to come to Canada, so we'll take it. <laughs> you know, there's, a, there's a third option there. It's possible. It's possible. But they could have just given him an opt-out. True. Okay. Moving on. Um, now, I put the Hank Aaron Award on this list because I feel like the Hank Aaron Award avoids the muddy waters of the MVP debate that seem to have come and gone over time uh, in different waves, where the MVP seems to need to be on a winning team or something else. Hank Aaron or, or you know, to be an all-around player, so a DH can't be an MVP, that kind of thing. So the Hank Aaron Award comes around, and if you're the best hitter in the league, you get the Hank Aaron Award. Seems clearer. And in 2000, Carlos Delgado. Hank Aaron Award winner. Deserving and, himself. Yeah, I mean, Carlos Delgado was a monster in 2000. I mean, he was a monster multiple times over the course of his career. Yes. But, you know, like he was monster in the year before that, in 99, and the year before that, in 98. But in 2000, he, you know, he had a 1.134 OPS. Now, OPS is not a perfect stat. But that was the second highest in the league. To, and, it, and it was the only person who was higher was Manny Ramirez, who only played 118 games. So Delgado was the best hitter in the league that year. And, and that year he did play. Delgado, I'm looking here, played every game, literally. Yes, he did. He also hit a remarkable 57 doubles. Yeah, I mean, he had 98 extra base hits. All of these are beastly numbers. And he was an all-star. And he did get MVP votes. Sorry, uh, 99. He got a triple. I forgot about that. Yes, one triple. Um, 90, yeah, so 99 extra base hits. What uh, what's stood in his way as far as being MVP that year? Well, a few things. There's the important one that you talked about. The Jays were bad. Which... Shouldn't be important. Yeah, I was going to say important in these very visible hair quotes I'm using. <laughs> but also, I mean, the biggest things to me that stood in his way were like he was only a little better than Jason Giambi, maybe not like, better. Like, it, you know, it was like it's hard to say who was the better hitter with Oakland. You know, like the numbers that Giambi put up were very similar to the numbers that Delgado put up, and Giambi was playing in Oakland. Right. And then, and then Frank Tom Frank Thomas had a good year, and then A Rod had a fantastic year. I mean, A Rod, and actually the guy who should have won is probably Pedro, because Pedro's numbers in nineteen in two thousand were ridiculous. Yeah, I'm not huge on giving pitchers MVP awards because it, it's hard to compare apples to oranges, even if we have all these you know win win evaluations. But yeah, uh, a one point seven four ERA, a point seven three seven WHIP. It just blows like, me away. Sorry, clear my throat into the microphone there. But for let, let's put this into context. A 1.74 ERA was good for an ERA plus of 291, <laughs> which means it was 191% better than league average. He struck out 284 hitters in 217 innings, and he walked 32. <laughs> Yeah, so he probably should have won the MVP in 99 and 2000 and didn't win either one. But back to Delgado. Yeah, I mean, he just didn't have – he was a first baseman and he was you know, not necessarily better than the other first baseman, Giambi or Frank Thomas. And those te- those guys did – their teams did better. And then he was also didn't do as well as the shortstop Alex Rodriguez on the bad team. So I don't think he had a real case. No, it's actually impressive that he won the um... – Hank Aaron Award with A Rod out there. Yeah, I mean, uh, there was certainly a case to give that to A Rod. I mean, A Rod hit as many home runs, but his, you know, but the thing is, 
the fact that he was a shortstop doesn't matter, right? Delgado's batting average was 30 points higher. His, you know, he had the same number of home runs, more RBIs, better, much better on base percentage. I don't think there's really a case to give it to A-Rod. The only guy I think that could have gotten it would be Giambi. Fair enough. All right. So now things actually the Blue Jays start winning things in the individual category, even though the team still stinks, because um, we've done 96, 97, 98, 2000, all with award winners. Now 2002, we're back to the rookie of the year, Eric Hinsky. Yeah, this one came out of nowhere. I mean, do you remember when the Jays traded for Eric Hinsky? No. I'll be honest. They traded away Billy Koch. That probably hurt at the time. Kind of. Um, so Billy Koch was like, you know, he came up, he was the superstar closer, and he was through 102 miles an hour. And then he, but he wasn't very good in 2001. And then he went and saved 44 games for the Oakland A's after the trade. But no one cared because Eric Hinsky was, wow, well, this guy's a star. Yeah, he, he uh, 279, 365, 481 slash line. He hit 24 home runs as a rookie in like over 550 plate appearances. I mean, what what, yeah. what could you complain about? An OPS plus of about 120 for a rookie. Yeah, this isn't like the Alfredo Griffin one where it's like everybody sucked. <laughs> no. It was a well-deserved and good season. And so like it looked like the Jays had found – lightning in a bottle really or caught lightning in a bottle because Hinsky was 24 he was never a top prospect but he came out and was great and never was great again (laughs) (laughs) so that OPS plus I gave a 119 he literally never got there again in his entire career and he played until 2013 played 11 years yeah so this is there's an interesting thing with the rookie of the year voting which we're not gonna have to discuss again because they've never won it again Keith Law, when he gets a vote for this, he actually votes also on potential, which I don't agree with because it's not who's the best prospect. It's who was the best rookie. But there's some merit, I guess, to the idea because I wonder if it creates like false expectations for some of these rookies. It's, it, well, I, I guess it could because it's kind of that – that legitimately it's the had a good year award but maybe he had a good year because you know it, just luck <laughs> not not some great maturing of talent and because he was 24 yeah you know like so it, it almost sets up as like this guy's going to be your future star start buying buying stock in this guy basically when you know ask the dodgers from the mid 90s what todd hollinsworth turned out to be you know <laughs> it it's not that. It's just who had a really good year who hadn't played enough in the big leagues before. Uh, amusing um, guy who did not win the Rookie of the Year in Eric Hinsky's win year was John Lackey. Yeah, Lackey had a pretty good half season, like a really good half season. And but then he became a star. Yeah, I was going to say, if you're voting on potential, maybe your vote goes to John Lackey. Yeah. Or Josh Phelps, right? Because Josh Phelps was a star back then too. But hey, he yeah, I don't know. I mean, he did. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, the vote I think should be what it is. But I think it just the problem is just the perception that and the way that teams market it. Like, cause of course they're going to market. We got the rookie of the year. Go buy tickets. But it's it also I think just is a little not really fair to how, you know how this thing usually plays out. All right, uh, and we get to two thousand and three. And I, I believe this is, to me, you know, it is the high point for me of, of all the Blue Jay Awards won. Well, of all the Blue, the Cy Young. Definitely not for shots. me, but go ahead. I, I think it is. Roy Halladay rebuilt himself back, you know, from, from his um, what, 2000 season where, where everything went wrong and came back and absolutely, in, in the most old school way possible, dominated the league in 2003. He did. I mean, he threw 266 innings. You know, he led the league in wins, led the majors in wins, actually, which does not happen very often in the Blue Jays' land. But, yeah, I mean, he was he was fantastic. And there was some worry. I don't know if you remember this at the time because I'm not sure how much you were following the team then. 
there was a lot of worry that Esteban Loaiza was going to win it. And when like, how much of a kick in the teeth would that have been? His first year with the White Sox after sucking for two years with the Blue Jays, if he went on and won the Cy Young. Um, and when you're looking at wins and losses, you can see why they would they would put Loaiza up there because he had um, he had, he was 21 and nine. Halliday was 22 and seven. Uh, he had a better ERA than Halliday, but he also threw 40 less innings. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the the innings just weren't there for him, and then that was that was the decider. It's like, look, this guy he threw one complete game to Halliday's nine. Halliday had two shutouts, obviously, otherwise it couldn't have had two because only one complete game. But so Halliday just did more, and you know, ERA plus, which takes Parks into account. Gives it to Louisa, but it does not take divisions into account. And the AL East was just a bloodbath then. And the voters recognized that. He got how they got twenty six of the twenty eight first place votes, which I remember did not I did not expect to happen. Um and of course Pedro Martinez was still in the voting, but only through one hundred eighty six innings that year. I presume there was an injury. But had Pedro Martinez at this point still had an ERA a run lower than Roy Halliday's. So Ah. <laughs> I think they got this one right. I think that, you know, 80 innings difference in pitching mm-hmm. is even if, you know, like even if Pedro was just much better in his 180 innings than Alan Holiday was in his 260, 80 innings is so significant. 80 innings of good pitching as opposed to 80 innings of bad pitching. Well, when, wins are a counting stat, right? You're, you're right. The, the, where each time you go out there and perform well, you add to that total. So when you can't do those 80 innings because you're Pedro, it you you aren't adding value every time you take a turn in the rotation. Ah, so yeah, congratulations, Roy. Um, we'll congratulate you on one other thing later. So 2010 and 2011, the uh, surprise emergence of Jose Bautista gets him not one but two AL Hank Aaron awards. Again, the pure. Offensive Performer Awards. Um, this was this was satisfying. This was the first time since I returned to watching baseball in like 07 that a Blue Jay looked like they deserved anything after the season finished. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember how you thought felt that first time after Jose Bautista did 2010? Like, were you worried that that was going to be a fluke? Not really. I, I wasn't because... It, it kind of it trailed all the way back into that last month of 2009. And it seemed like he was a much more patient hitter than, you know, than his brand had been when he got traded to the Blue Jays. And I was big on OBP at the time. But he's also a much more powerful hitter. But um... Yes. But, but my, my feeling about Jose Bautista is if Jose Bautista walks 100 times, everything else falls into place. I know that sounds That's weird. fair. Um, you know, I, I remember the conversation in the July of that season of 2010, the first one. Um, <laughs> I think it was John Heyman. It's like the Blue Jays should trade Bautista to the Giants for Emmanuel Burris. Do you know that name? No. <laughs> Do you know Jose Bautista's uh, wasn't he supposed to get traded for Dominic Brown the next year? No, that was never actually a thing. That was just a suggestion. That, that was just some guy made that up and said that that was happening. That was never a, a rumor of something that was going to happen. But yeah, Burris was like a was a speedy shortstop for the Giants who couldn't hit, <laughs> and for some reason he was supposed to be the centerpiece of a trade for Jose Bautista. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just looking at his his month by month splits. For, for Bautista in um, 2010. 2010. And he, he keeps, other than June, where he had a little bit of a, a swoon, he, he gets basically, cons- he's just so consistently good except for June. It's like, what? there's nothing to worry about. He's got 30 days where he's not good. And every and, other time, he's fantastic. You know, and it's funny because we'll, you know, we'll, we'll discuss 21, 2011, you know, more in depth later when we're talking about different aspects of awards that weren't won. Um, but one of the interesting things about Bautista's contract, which turned into a fantastic bargain, yes, was seen as really risky at the time. Yes, 
Because you're betting on five years of a guy at the time, or was it was it four plus a year or five plus a year? It was five plus an option. So five, you're betting on five years of a guy based on less than six months of of or basically six months of track record. Yeah, and it was five. I think it was five year extension too. So yep. like, you know, it was six years plus an option, and you know that's that's a or sorry five years. Yeah, six years, including that year, plus five more years, and then the option. And it's like for a guy who did it once, and was how old? <laughs> he did it once. He in was twenty-eight. Twenty-nine. Yeah, the, sorry. Two, two, yeah, sorry. Two thousand nine was his tw- uh, twenty-eight year old. Says, yeah, so he's twenty-nine years old, and you're going to throw money at a guy for five years. It does look. Who's done it once? It looks. It looks a bit silly. I mean, it was just, I, I think that the same thing happened that you were just talking about. You know, the Jays saw that the approach was the kind of thing that would age well. And it did. He was fantastic for the entire life of the contract. Yeah, it, it is the only time I, I could think that a, a Blue Jay played out the entire string of that particular contract and was of, of great value the whole time. Like <laughs> Edwin is is a similar thing, but yeah, yeah, it's just few and far between that it comes comes to pass. There's just so many things that can go wrong when you hand a guy five years of anything. Not that I'm saying teams shouldn't do it. Um, I, I wonder if the, at the time though, the the other thing was, well, we can give five years worth of money to Jose Bautista, whom we know can do this, and who we are well aware of his medicals and his attitude and everything else. Or we can go and try and find someone on the free agent market to give this money to. Yeah, I mean, that's a certainly a good way of looking at it. And you do, you always have more information about your own players than you do about other people's players too, right? So the the moral hazard that comes out of that is like, you have to deal with it. It's like, you know what you need to know. Bet on that guy. And then he went out and had an even better year the next year. <laughs> Yeah, and, and and a lot of people. Not, so, 2010, we're talking about a year where he hit 54 home runs and set the franchise record, and that's a very impressive, very big number. He led the league in total bases as well. So it didn't. It wasn't an empty. You know, all I can do is is swing hard and hit dingers. He hit 35 doubles as well, and like I said, he triples. walked a hundred times. Um, but then, yeah, he got better in 2011. He hit 43 home runs, which also led the league by coincidence. Um, didn't drive in as many, but he walked 32, 132 times. He slugged 608. Which both those things led the league. Yeah, so he was like so far and away deserving of the Hank Award in both years. Yeah. We'll get back to um, other awards that he might have won when we come back. Um, but the final one, and I'm assuming this is going to be your most satisfying win for a Blue Jay with hardware. Yeah, it is because yeah, like the the holiday one, I get it. It's Roy Holiday and everything that had come before and come after. But this was the Jays coming back to relevance. Yes, and Josh Donaldson traded to the team, carrying them there exactly like you're supposed to when you get get traded onto a contender. Yeah, and like he dragged them there, kicking and screaming. I mean, <laughs> he was the best player easily on that team, which was actually loaded with good players, but. He was great from the beginning, and he was the guy kind of pushing everything. He pushed the front office with the tri-league, not to get a done league statement. And he was the best player on a team that, you know, they did. They coasted to the division at the end, but that's not really how it played out during the season. No, that, that was the first uh, two-thirds of the season was how can they score so many runs and yet not win anything? <laughs> Yeah, and, you know, it wasn't just Donaldson being a masher. He was a really good third baseman, too. Absolutely. And, you know, he shored up the defense, especially, you know, playing good defense over there when they had freaking Jose Reyes on the other side. Um, You know, it became a lot easier when they got too low. But And he was a good base runner. He made some huge plays on the bases and key runs that they had. And all those walk-off home runs or game-tying home runs. He was just awesome. And he led the league in runs and RBI. Which is uh, 
evidence that he was in a pack lineup like we were talking about. The only Blue Jay ever to lead league in runs, by the way. Which was a trivia question that Josh is now running on his Twitter account because he's bored without any baseball to play. So you can you can hop on there and try and answer his questions. Well, it's not because I'm bored. It's I'm trying, I'm trying to help other people from being oh, bored. You see, it's, it's not about you. It's about no. It's about the people. Give I already people know the answer, so I. <laughs> um. All right. So, should Mike Trout have have made a harder run at him for that MVP award, considering that Trout had a higher OPS, um, hit just as many home runs, uh, got on base more often, and is a defensive standout as well. Maybe. I don't know. I, I think that there's a strong case that Trout should have won that year, but I think there's also a really strong case that Donaldson should have won. I think the question comes down to how many shelves in his house is Mike Trout willing to set aside for MVP awards? Huh, not enough. I mean, he's, <laughs> Mike Trout should have won a few that he hasn't. He's got but... up so many times. And he still has, what, four, five? Like, well, maybe after this, does he get? Will he get one for free for this season? Doesn't get played, just get this next one. I think he should. That would give him four. But yeah, I think we should. I think we should start a petition to give Mike Trout the the twenty twenty MVP award, regardless of the outcome of the season. Yeah, he's he's played eight seasons and he's never finished worse than fourth in the MVP voting, and he's finished first or second every other year. <laughs> the year he finished fourth in the MVP voting, he led the league in on base percentage, slugging. OPS, and of course, OPS Plus. The other reason he became fourth because he only played 114 games that year. But this is not a Mike Trout so, podcast. Maybe next week. If, <laughs> yeah. Okay, Josh. But I don't know. I mean, here's the thing. I don't think team performance should be a major category. I don't. But I do think when you do the kind of things that Donaldson did, to help push your team to winning with all those walk-off. He had four walk-off home runs in the season, which is nuts. And and, do th- and things like that, I think they should matter if, you're t- if if it pushes your team to a title. I think that should be a, a tiebreaker, and I, uh, okay. I think that that's a fair one. Caveat, I don't think it should be a tiebreaker because it pushes your team to a title. But I think win probability added in, in a case where you're having trouble deciding between two guys is a great way... And I know win probability added is kind of still luck. You have to come up in the right situation. But you also have to execute in the right situation to have a good WPA. So if you've got two guys who are pretty close to one another and one has a absurdly higher WPA, I say absolutely the clutchness of that player, however you want to describe it, in those situations. Those are things that really happened, the ways he really helped his team. Yeah, that, that would tip the scales for me for sure. More so than whether it was a playoff team or not. That's fair. I think that both approaches work. Uh, Donaldson would have won that that year. His his what, what WP stupid fan grabs that. <laughs> um, <laughs> his, his his WPA was about one higher than Mike Trout's. So yeah, a whole win just just because he did the right thing at the right time. All right, I am uh, I'm getting I'm getting winded here, so we're gonna take a quick break and we're gonna come back with. Uh, sometimes when things maybe didn't turn out quite like they should have. We'll be right back. And so we shall continue, good sir. We shall continue with the times when history got it wrong. Is that easy to say? <laughs> So the first person who history did the dirty two in, in reverse chronological order as we've been going is Dave Steep. Dave Multiple St- times. <laughs> Dave Steep got the shortest end of the pitching stick, I think, of, of any pitcher in the 80s, surely. 1984 is the one I'm going to start with because he had 7.9 wins according to Baseball Reference War measure. He got one Cy Young vote. And Willie Hernandez won as a reliever who had the amazing 140 innings pitched, 32 saves, and nine wins. I'm sure. And the second he, place was a reliever too. Uh, Quisenberry. Yes. 
I think Quisenberry just won because everybody liked him so, or got votes because everybody liked him so much. So in a year where the guy who won pitched a whole 140 innings, Dave Steve threw 267 innings with 11 complete games, two shutouts. And a 2.83 ERA, which was better than Burt Blylevin, who got first place votes. One vote! <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a case to be made that Mike Boddicker should have won that one. I mean, Baseball Reference War says they shouldn't have, but their numbers on the surface were similar, except for strikeouts. Steve had way more, but one vote is insane. And giving it to a closer is just stupid. You know what's even weirder is in that year... Dave Steve got MVP votes. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay. But I mean, this this was a trend of Dave Steve getting the shaft. Because in 1982, they gave it to Pete Vukovic. Pete Vukovic <laughs> made 30 starts with a 3.34 ERA, and he threw 223 innings. His whip was 1.5 because he walked 102 batters. Dave Steve through 288 innings with a better ERA of 3.25 and a whip of 1.2, which is not amazing, but it's acceptable. He threw 65 more innings than the guy who won. And he lost because Dave Steve was 17 and 14 because the 1982 Blue Jays were not that good. Dave Steve didn't win 17 games only for lack of sticking around, though. How many complete games did he throw? 19 <laughs> with five shutouts. He threw more complete games than he had wins. Show me a player since when was the last time a player did that? Seriously. More complete games than wins. Poor Dave Steve saddled with a crap team to bail him out. It's <laughs> 78 and 84, the Blue Jays in 1982. <laughs> but the one that gets me more than any of them, 1983. Dave Steeb had a 3.04 ERA in 278 innings and 17 wins. The Cy Young Award went to Lamar Hoyt, who had a higher ERA, fewer innings, but 24 wins. But that's not what gets me. Dave Steeb had better numbers than all of the people who got votes, and Dave Steeb did not get a single vote for Cy Young. He was the best pitcher in the league and got no votes. And he was an all-star that year. And the Jays won 89 games, so it wasn't like, hey, you know, this team is no good. Let's ignore them. Yeah, Dave Steve clearly isn't helping by logging almost 280 innings. <laughs> like, with a three ERA. Yeah, he's just some washed up, but I don't understand. Like, was he that much of an annoying person that everybody hated him? Is that what we're, we're finding out about Dave Steve? I mean, he must have been, because we've just mentioned 82, 83, and 84, where Dave Steeb got snubbed. not Like, badly, too. Not just, oh, well, he came second. Like, he wasn't even in the top three. And then in 1985, it was the Brett Saberhagen show. Dave Steeb was awesome that year, too. <laughs> and he got two votes. Not even first place votes. Just two votes. And it's just like, there must have been people just hated Dave Steve. That's the only explanation for this because he was the best pitcher in the league for four years and he got nothing. All right. Now we know. Okay. 1987, George Bell. We talked about him uh, quite a bit. So we just have to highlight here quickly. Um, do you think uh, George Bell deserved his, uh, his MVP? Yes. No, I don't. No. Hell no. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> I mean, this, this is entirely blown because Alan Trammell had 50 points of on base percentage on Bell and only lost 50 points in slugging which you know to the layman that's an OPS that's basically the same Alan Trammell was an elite defensive shortstop <laughs> on the team that won the division I can't believe that George Bell won this it, it, it is truly a strange strange thing um, now Trammell did finish second um, but you know if you look at, at the rankings in terms of uh, wins, um, Roger Clemens should have won that MVP. Wade Boggs was more valuable. Trammell, Molitor, Kevin Seitzer, Mark McGuire, Don Mattingly, Tony Fernandez, Jack Morris. Oh, look, George okay, Bell. Stop, 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 stop. I found, I found George <laughs> Bell. <laughs> 
Make yeah, no I mean, sense. a lot of those are between 5.1 and 5, which is not a thing. But, yeah. I mean, Roger Clemens and Alan Trammell and, and Wade Boggs were the three best players that year. And Trammell should have won. Oh, well. We'll take it. Every other time we talk about Blue Jays getting shafted. Uh, move up to 1993. John Olerud. Um, this is just a fascinating um, shot at John because he finished third in the voting. He had a 363, 473, 599 line. He had a 186 OPS plus. He finished second in the league in wins above replacement. He finished behind Paul Molitor in the voting, who literally was worse in every category and a DH. It's because Molitor was the counting stat guy, right? Molitor had... (laughs) 12 more runs, four more RBIs, 22 <laughs> more steals, you know, 43 fewer walks, or 37 fewer walks. <laughs> I was trying to do math on the fly there. Yeah, it, it's crazy that the DH with the worst slash line got the votes. <laughs> I get, you know, I thought people hated DHs, but no, apparently Paul Muller was such a, an outstanding, you know, talent in 1993 that he, being objectively worse than John Olerud, deserved more credit for the Blue Jays doing well. Yep. Okay. So that takes us to 2003, Carlos Delgado. Should he have won the MVP? No. Yeah. This this is a controversial opinion because 2003 Delgado, his numbers were better than A-Rod's. Like, not by much, but they were better. But A-Rod was a shortstop. <laughs> he was a gold <laughs> glove shortstop. And back then, people didn't really think about that. It was just who was the better hitter. So the idea that Delgado lost the MVP to A-Rod seemed like a travesty because the the Red Sox, the, the Rangers also finished last. But A-Rod was better and, like, a lot better. <laughs> so <laughs> sorry. Sorry. We love you, and we're glad you got the Hank Aaron Award in that year. Uh, oh, no, didn't get that either. Anyway, uh, 2011, Jose Bautista. Uh, should he have won the MVP in his the pinnacle of his career? Maybe. I mean, I think that this one, they kind of got it right where there was a few people who got first place votes because Verlander won it. Verlander had an amazing season. And, you know, Ellsbury was right there. Ellsbury, Ellsbury definitely lost the MVP because the Red Sox collapsed. I, I'm 100% convinced that happened. Yes. That, was that the chick, chicken and beer or whatever? Uh, well, that came out later. But that yeah. was later. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, those were the, they were the three best players in the league that year. And they all got first place votes, but Verlander took it. I, I, I have no problem with that, but I would have had no problem with either of Bautista or Ellsbury winning either. I think some years it is tough to select an MVP. And I, I kind of would like it if more years were like that. Th- that there wasn't, the, you know, I love Mike Trout. But all I am is angry that Mike Trout didn't get the MVP he deserved instead of, you know, actually engaging in a debate about someone who's as good as Mike Trout. Yeah. Basically, if Mike Trout plays 160 games, which he doesn't do that much, but if he does, he wins. And that's it. Which it is boring, I agree. Well, you, yeah, it's it's like if hard work truly brought you MVP status, um, you know, that kind of thing, if, if that was absolute, then uh, Mike Trout must be the hardest working person in the world. <laughs> Which I feel is probably not the case. I think all the other guys are trying pretty hard. Um, so finally, I, in, in our look at all of the Blue Jays who have brought home the hardware, I suppose this is where you go to the hardware. The Blue Jays have um, two Hall of Famers in their midst now. Of course, the first one was Roberto Alomar, who made it on the second go-round. Not that we overly care. Um, do do you think people who are not Blue Jay fans think of Roberto Alomar as a Blue Jay? Hmm. I Is don't he- know the answer to that. I mean... He was a star with Toronto. I mean, like he deserved to go in as a Blue Jay. I don't think I don't even think it's questionable whether he did. But he was also a star for Baltimore and Cleveland. 
I still think yes to the to the question because he was a star with the Blue Jays for longer, and the Blue Jays won two World Series with him as their star. Whereas Cleveland just got to the playoffs. Yeah, and Baltimore, same thing. So I think yes, but I don't think it's a lock. Fair enough. Um, anything else we want to say about Roberto Alomar, the Hall of Famer? Uh, he absolutely deserves to be there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, I mean, he, he truly is one of the greatest second basemen of all time. Um, and I think it was it was really a treat to watch him play. Um, to be honest, I remember more about Roberto Alomar on the bases than I do anywhere else, uh, although I loved his defense. I, I think watching him measure up a pitcher and steal second or third um, – is something that's just that's where I picture him every time I I am uh, thinking about Alomar. Yeah, he's done a little dirty by war because it uses total zone defensive stats, which were, you know, they're worth the paper they're printed on, basically. So his defensive stats, like he's by baseball reference war and by Fangraphs war because they use the same thing. He's an, a league average defender for his career, which is just bogus. <laughs> 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 uh he certainly had the range to on on the particular surface he played on he looked like an absolute savant out there well here's the thing this is why total zone is so bad especially when for his blue jays years because he was playing on turf total zone is based on total number of chances on the turf the ball is just going to get past you more because the ball is going so much faster <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he was playing short right field a lot of the time and making the plays, but I don't think Total Zone understands where he was or how much, how far to his left he was ranging. Well, no, but also like balls that he didn't get to. Yeah. That, like he just didn't get to as many balls in a season as other second basemen did because other second basemen were not playing on turf. Yeah, they shot right. But he past got them. to balls that if he was playing on grass. More, no second baseman would have gotten to other than him. Indeed. Um, I also love the way he turned the double play, come to think of it. But still not where I picture him first. Okay, Roy Halladay. Um, I guess that's the bittersweet one. Um, that Roy Halladay didn't didn't get to be at his own induction ceremony. Yeah, it's horrible. And Yeah, I, I mean, it, it, it's, it's tragic. This is what it is. I mean, the way his life ended... He was probably going to be a Hall of Famer anyway, but I mean, it's crass to say it, but him dying definitely made him a Hall of Famer. First ballot guy, at least. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, he's the second or, or the greatest or second greatest pitcher in Blue Jays history. The other one being Dave Steve, who should be in the Hall of Fame, but isn't. Well, yeah, that's a discussion for another day. Um, I think the fact that uh, Roy Halladay is a homegrown player is also kind of neat that the Blue Jays finally have someone who they you know they can say they they were the ones who um were in control of his career trajectory um and and brought him up to the big leagues and that's you know that's sort of part of that legacy as well um which really hasn't happened with any other other player because alomar was was not signed by the blue jays initially at all as we discussed last week in our trades episode which you can go back and check out on, no okay. <laughs> a little cross promotion there josh you like that that was good. Well done. I know. I look. I can. I can see the look of approval on your face. I'm gonna hit. Yeah. You so with... we just go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. Give it to me. I was gonna hit you with a trivia question to finish off the podcast, but oh, okay. You ready? Yeah. So name the eight players who are in the Hall of Fame who have logged time in a Blue Jay uniform and the one manager. Eight players in the Hall of Fame who've logged time in a Blue Jay uniform. Oof, yeah. that's tough. That's not so tough for you, surely. The, the, well, i got to remember everybody who's played for the Jays over the years. So there's the two you just named, obviously. Yes. Thomas, Henderson, Winfield, Molitor. Uh, yeah, uh, Henderson, Winfield, yeah, got him. Jack Morris. Yep. And Phil Necro. Yes, there's your eight. Who's the manager? Bobby Cox? Correct. Got him. <laughs> Told you it was easy. <laughs> uh, anybody got a question that's tougher than that for Josh? Um, we tried people sending those in, and nobody seems to like to challenge him. So, you know, you can try. I have one for you. Oh, dear. Well, we know how these go. No, no, this one's – you. it's not hard <laughs> in the sense of like there's not, there's not many options for the answer. It's not a big list, right? <laughs> no. It's <laughs> – okay. uh, 
So the Silver Slugger is a word we did not discuss because there's you know, a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> How many positions have the Blue Jays not won it? Um, I presume there is no Silver Slugger for the AL pitcher. No, that doesn't count. Well, it doesn't count. How many positions have the Blue Jays not won it? Do they do just outfielder or do they do... Left fielder, right fielder, just, center fielder. Just outfielders. Just There's outfielder. no yeah, no positions. Surely or at least, or at least there weren't. I don't know about okay. now. Um, I will bet on two. I feel like two. Catcher and, you know, first mm, catcher and shortstop? Correct. The Blue Jays have never won it at either of those positions. Yeah. Right. Somebody clip this and put it up on the internet. Yeah, and they've <laughs> never won a gold glove at second base, or sorry, catcher or first base. Catcher surprises me. First base, there's always somebody out there. And Russell Martin, and it's insane that Russell Martin did not win the Silver Slugger compared to Brian McCann in 2015. <laughs> Brian McCann did not deserve it. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Well, I think that is our final thought, those two random trivia questions. Yep. Which is to say that you were Joshua Housem, and I, Joshua Housem, and I was Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead 2010, and this was the all-gold-plated hardware edition of Artificial Turf Wars episode number 171. And, we'll and if you have any other topics you want us to discuss from the Blue Jays history, please send us a note on Twitter to Greg or me or at TurfPod. We'll see them all. And we will hit you up, possibly, with one of those suggestions next week. Mm -hmm.